This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Every five years, the USDA puts forth its dietary guidelines that then play an important role in shaping Americans' eating habits. Here to help us navigate this newest set of recommendations is Maria Erdman, registered dietitian nutritionist and certified specialist in oncology nutrition at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Maria. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So this new 2015 revision contains, from what I see, a few very radical ideas. I mean, one thing that struck me is that they removed the recommendations to limit the intake of cholesterol-rich foods, and they've made some reference to coffee as potentially being a part of a healthy diet. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but help us understand when we say got these guidelines, what exactly are they? So the food guidelines, the dietary guidelines from are from the United States Department of Agriculture and the Department of Health and Human Services. There's actually a bill saying that these two departments have to come together and make dietary recommendations for Americans to try to improve Americans' health through diet. But those guidelines, which you're going to go through for us in a few minutes, are not really for the average citizen to take and use as an everyday kind of um, plan for their diet, are they? Exactly. They're really made for professionals to use. They're used by people who are planning federal food nutrition um, health policies and programs for people who need to make um, food decisions for school lunch programs and things like that, and for educators such as myself to know what the recommendations are. So they're more kind of global principles of nutrition. Yes. Well, let's get to what they are first, and then we'll go from there and drill down to the detail in terms of what you then can take away. What are the takeaways? Okay. So the guidelines, there are five guidelines that were put out to the public. Number one was follow a healthy eating pattern across the lifespan. This is kind of a change. Instead of looking at individual nutrients, they're looking at a healthy eating pattern. And the specifics of that are that a healthy eating pattern includes fruits, vegetables, protein, dairy, grains, and oils, and limits saturated fats, trans fats, added sugars, and sodium. So at one point, eating healthy wasn't just cutting, at one point they were saying cutting back on fat and calories, and when we've looked at what's happened with those recommendations, subsequent to that, we're really fatter and less healthy than we were before. So they've turned to this whole notion of healthy pattern. Right, they're trying to look at a person's entire eating pattern throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout their life, as opposed to just specifics. What else? The next one is focus on variety, nutrient density, and the amount of food. So a variety of nutrient-dense foods from each food group is recommended, and that would mean, so an example of a meal would be chicken salad with a slice of bread and a glass of milk, some lettuce and celery would be included in there as vegetables, apples and grapes might be included in there as fruits, you know, in the chicken salad. Um, the protein part of that meal would be the chicken breast and some walnuts. The grains would be a whole grain bread. You would have the fat-free milk as your dairy. And for oil, you'd have mayonnaise, which goes with the chicken salad. Or if you wanted to use an olive oil, that could be also the but oil. But the concept here is to go all across the food groups right. and have an e not equal representation. I want to talk about that too, but have a full representation of all the food groups at each meal. Well, and a variety and 
um, everything being nutrient dense, which we can talk about the meaning of that. Well, what is that? Nutrient density is when you eat a food that has plenty of vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, fiber. So you're not eating quote unquote empty calories, which is what has been defined as plain sugar, um, something like white bread or cake doesn't have a lot of nutrition in it in each bite, whereas a vegetable does. How does that compare to the concept of a whole food? Well, whole foods tend to be nutrient dense. A so they're in their natural fruit. state as exactly. much as possible without preservatives and without being kind of altered in many, many ways. Not being refined so refined. much that you lose a lot of the nutrients. Is there another recommendation? Yes. Number three is limit calories from added sugars and saturated fats and reduce sodium intake. And the specifics of that are to reduce saturated fats, such as are found in um, high-fat animal products, like ice cream sundae or, or cheeseburger would be two examples of saturated fats. Um, added sugars can be found in things like regular soda or a chocolate chip muffin, for example, that you would purchase at a, at a convenience store is very high in added sugars. Um, sodium can be found in things like pepperoni pizza or a cold cut sub. All of those processed meats have a lot of sodium. So those are things that you might want to lower. So just let's, let's try to do some takeaways from mm -hmm. these. Basically, the highlights. Are you supposed to be limiting your salt intake? I know that was something that you've alluded to here, but that was something that was highly stressed at one point, especially with people who had high blood pressure. What's the salt recommendation right now? The salt recommendation is to have about a teaspoon of salt. And that's across all of your eating? Yes. It seems very limited. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> but that's the, that's the recommendation. Mm -hmm. How about coffee? This changes I alluded to with coffee. What What's the new thinking on coffee? Well, coffee was never mentioned before, but recent research has shown that coffee does have some benefits to uh, reducing the risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And some recent research that didn't appear to make it into these guidelines has shown um, that it might help with um, Alzheimer's, and there actually is some some evidence showing that there's a benefit to reducing the risk of cancer also. Wow, coffee seems to fall into favor and disfavor depending <laughs> on what year you're talking about. How about things like dairy? I mean, what's the major recommendation there then? You, you want to have dairy, but does it have to be low fat? The recommendations are for skim or low fat dairy. Um, and there's some, controversy among some people as far as that because part of the changes that have been made here are for um, there was going there, there's some controversy in these guidelines as there always is um, and fat limits are a big part of that because there were some changes made from the scientific report to the guidelines. I want to get to that in just a minute because we're going to talk about how this whole thing was constructed and where the controversy emerges. But let me just run through a couple more. How about cholesterol? This whole issue of, at one point, cholesterol-rich foods. Eggs, for example, were on the no-no list for so long. Where are we at with cholesterol-rich foods today? Well, the limits in the 2010 guidelines said no more than 300 milligrams of cholesterol 
in your dietary intake per day. That's been completely dropped because there's still a limit on saturated fat, which is where cholesterol tends to come from, as being 10% or less of your total calories. Um, but it has been seen in the research that's done that people are eating an average of 267 milligrams a day. So we seem to be keeping ourselves under that 300 milligrams, so they didn't feel the need to stress it. And a lot of research has shown that um, other things really play a, a greater um, influence on cholesterol levels in the blood, including heredity, physical activity, um, and, and things such as so that. So the idea of eating a food that has cholesterol is not as important as is avoiding food that has saturated fat, which then in your own body gets converted to cholesterol in your body and causes the plaque problems. I, it's not that close of a... Of a an association. association. Um, trans fat was also shown to cause a lot of problems. Um, but yeah, it, it's not that close of an association, but it does help limit the And saturated cholesterol. fat, they want you less than 10%. Yes. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with registered dietitian nutritionist Maria Erdman. We're talking about the newest USDA food guidelines. Go ahead, explain to us how this was all put together and what the process is and why there's controversy underlying some of it. Well, so there's actually a law that says that the Health and Human Services and USDA have to get together every five years and make new guidelines. So the first step of that is to get a group of scientists together to review all of the most recent literature and to grade it and decide what is really important and what we really need to say. So this is all very scientifically based. They have open meetings and they do allow input from the public um, and they do take that under advisement, but it's really about the science. So they end up writing a very long, very detailed report that most people would not want to read. Um, this then goes to a group of people that are going to write the dietary guidelines. And, and that's, who are those people? These people, some are scientists, there are dietitians, there are doctors, but there are also policy writers, people who know how to take a recommendation and turn it into a policy, and people with communication expertise to make sure that it's understandable and clear. Um, so wherein lies the rub? Where's the problem there? Well, someplace in this translation, since it is a translation, people have disagreements about what this scientific evidence means versus how you're going to advise people to eat. And isn't there some concern that there's been an untoward um, influence of the food industry in terms of affecting these ultimate guidelines? Yes, the food industry is very strong. Um, there's, there's meat, there's dairy, there's eggs, and they obviously are all going to want to have some input into these guidelines as it affects what people buy um, for their food. So they do have They've got lobbyists, um, dietitians. When uh, you know, we received a lot of action alerts from our association saying, "Oh, contact your congressman because they're going to do this, they're going to do that." Um, so there's a lot more public awareness and input during the policy writing than there necessarily was during the scientific, evidence-based part. And this is where sometimes, because Congress is involved in choosing policy makers, etc. in this process. Well, that says it all. <laughs> there no, can need, be, <laughs> no need to say more. There can be a little bit of interference. When, yes. you have, uh, when you have high stakes lobbying and very important, you know, um, a lot of dollars on the line, 
there's going to be influence. So the controversy amongst dietitians then is that these, I mean, help us understand that, that these recommendations are perhaps not as, um, I don't know what the word would be. Well, it, it wasn't a controversy among dietitians. The dietitians were trying to ask uh, their Congress people. There was a push by some to say that some of the evidence that was underlying some of the guidelines was not strong enough science. And in actuality, there's um, they they rate science as very strong, moderate, or or not good. And some of the moderate recommendations really do underlie some of these guidelines. Um, it can be called moderate because they're not blind studies. It's very difficult to do nutrition studies with free-living adults. Um, so some of the data doesn't reach that excellent standard, but it's still what we have and should underlie these recommendations. But Congress was trying to say, or some, some people in Congress were trying to say, oh, that doesn't count, we shouldn't have that, and probably due to some of the food lobbying. So bottom line is, how should people approach What's the takeaway? What do you tell your patients or clients? These guidelines over well are well done. Um, there is There are some issues such as the fact that they kind of backtracked on processed meats now including it as part of a healthy pattern, whereas in the 2010 guidelines they actually said that it was associated with an increased risk of colorectal cancer and cardiovascular disease. So some people have problems with that. However, the individual out there should go to choosemyplate.gov where the USDA has set up a bunch of tools for people to use that are very understandable, easy to use, and will really let you understand these guidelines and in translate a daily them. way. Translate yes. them into your daily life. Right. Thank you so much. My guest has been Maria Erdman. She's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified specialist in oncology nutrition at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.